Hey everybody, welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I'm your host, Chris Cosentino. We are here to talk about people that inspire and all my guests are inspiring in so many different ways. And I'm really looking forward to digging deep into how they got to where they are, to the top of their game, how hard they've worked, how much they've given up and how they're giving back. So without further ado, here's our next guest. Hey everybody, welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I am here with Henrik Orr. Fine. Uh, I tried. <laughs> okay. So Henrik, would you like to say this properly for me so I don't feel horrible? I will. Henrik Orr. Orr. Yeah, close, better? Almost. Almost. Yeah. Oh, man. You're struggling with it. You're, you're putting in like a J in your pronouncement, uh, but it's fine. It's tough. So yeah. for folks out there who don't know, you know, Henrik is known as Velo Chef. He was the chef of a pro tour team for multiple, multiple years. Not any pro tour team, a really, I would say, important pro tour team. One that has brought multiple yellow jerseys. And uh, I think there's a couple of gold medals in, in that in those years, right? Uh, that you yeah. um, And that would be Team Sky. So, you know, yes. Henrik, welcome. It's great to have Thanks you. We've been talking Thanks. about this, so. Yeah, we've been planning it for a, for a while. Now, you asked me a long time ago, and I was like, yeah, 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 let's do it. And then it's like, things happen, and then and finally, we, we, get a, we get a sit down to do it. Awesome. Well, you've actually been really busy. You know, you just opened a mm. restaurant. So in the middle of the world, that's complete <laughs> and utter turmoil, you opened a brick-and-mortar property called Bellship. Yeah, uh, which was totally... Um, that grew out of uh, something else that didn't happen because of the pandemic, actually. So it's like, it, it, it kind of felt, it, it left like a, a room to be filled, uh, if you understand what I mean. And, and we um, actually uh, funded, uh, built and raised this uh, restaurant and opened it in, in a pandemic time, which probably was the stupidest thing we ever could do, but it was such a fun, it's been such a fun journey. <laughs> Well, I remember when you told me, you're like, hey, Chris, I'm, I'm, I got a space. And my response was, are you out of your fucking mind? Yeah, I remember you said that. I was like, yeah. <laughs> you yeah, were like, yeah. no, it's going to be like, great. I'm like, it will be great, but you're crazy. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, it was. It was. You're absolutely right. It has been, it's been crazier after we uh, found the space and actually went to, uh, and, and first did the renovation and then got started. It's just been emotional all the time so i, I kind of want to start at the beginning because i think you know part of what i really like to dig into is the history of how everybody got to where they are now and i think yeah you have a very interesting trajectory i mean it's very different um i mean how how did it all start for you what made you say i want to cook and then yeah. then, then you ended up cooking on a level for people that had dietary restrictions and needs and specifics um, mm. and whims that are immediate. So and mm. it's completely different from the restaurant world. So how did you start and how did you get to that point? Well, it started, um, uh, the interest for food came, came up my home. My, uh, I wouldn't say my mom was a great chef, but she, she cooked everything from the bottom. And we had like, I was raised up on, on having good, uh, food cooked at home uh, and then kind of that, that got me an interest in, in, in getting into so I started like chef school uh, in Norway 
um, when I was uh, 16. And then you spent two years in, 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 in like a school. Um, don't know what you say over in the US, but we have like a, our chef education, as you say, is like a four year um, educational uh, in total. So you start two years at school, uh, kind of like probably similar, like uh, the culinary institute you have uh, over in the US. You mm -hmm. learn a little bit of everything. You're doing pastry, you're doing bakery, you're doing restaurants, you're doing everything. Um, and then from there, you choose your uh, line and where you want to go. So I went straight out and stayed at, uh, took an apprenticeship. You take an apprenticeship for two years at a restaurant and get like more training there. But you said you started at 16. Yeah, yeah. And that's a complete different system from what we're used to in the States. I mean, that's the, old, right. that's the old world way, or at least what I mm. would consider the old world way of making that decision at such a young age that you want to do mm. it and you jump right in with both feet. Is that yeah. just for culinary or is that say if you want to be an electrician or if you want to be, a, you know, is it the same? No, it's the same. It's the same thing if you choose to be uh, choose uh, a craftsmanship uh, or uh, like say like a carpenter culinary. It starts with those two years in school and you do two years apprenticeship. It's it's similar for all those kind of uh, work in Norway uh, in, in the school awesome. system. That's amazing yeah. because it it I think that really must have been a great opportunity to because you knew what you wanted to do and you grabbed it. Yeah ran with it at, a, at an age yeah. where your brain is like a giant sponge and it just all comes yeah. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so it, it was great. And then, um, and then these two, um, two years being an apprentice, you know, going into a restaurant, that sort of changed everything because you just got so inspired by all the people you were working with at, at the time. And, uh, and, and you came and, and that, that just brought the interest to do this even more so when finish off that i like this this was pre-internet time right so i started oh, yeah. where, where, <laughs> did you, where did you do your apprenticeship at did you is that something where you stayed at home and did it locally or is it something where you traveled no, uh, well i moved into oslo uh, capital of norway it's not a it's not a very big it's not far distance it's just uh an hour and a half from my hometown where I was growing up. So, but for me, that was a big move. I moved into the, to the big city, a small little apartment and, and, and I started working, you know, uh, this apprenticeship. So that was a big thing, uh, moving over there. And then, um, you know, I, I then, then the, the head chef and all that, he had told me about when he, uh, few years ago, back then, he went to France to, to visit all these great chefs. He worked at Michel Gerard, the, the, the big three-star chef down in Bordeaux. And all this got very inspiring. So um, we actually got to go on a... Uh, the chef was a very... He, he took all the apprentices uh, and brought us... We were five apprentices at a restaurant. He took all of us down to France um, and we visited Lyon. Um, and then we got to go to the restaurant Paul Bocuse and, and, and just see all this where, where it really happened uh, back in the days. And that was just another world for us. I mean, I'd never seen a truffle in all my life. And all of a sudden you're sitting at the restaurant Paul Bocuse and it's just like this trace of truffle just coming in 
uh, everywhere. It's just like another world, you know. Uh, so that was this that 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 um, really uh, wake my interest to go to France. Uh, so I actually had a another uh, a friend of mine who was going uh, to George Bond, if you know him. Yes. <laughs> yes. I've heard of him. So he, actually, just a little, just a little chef, yeah. not big of a deal. George uh, Bond, no big deal. Uh, yeah, so actually what we did, we um, we actually had to send letters, like a good old letter, uh, posted, find his, uh, I think we had to buy the Michelin Guide to find find the, the address. I remember doing uh, that. Yeah. And then you actually just, you wrote an, uh, an, a handwritten mail and asking if you could come to do a stash at that restaurant. And then you, we did that in January and like March, April, we would get like an answer. Uh, and then and that's was really yes. funny. That's really funny yeah. to think about that because we're so now everybody's so used to the phone, the internet, yeah. Zoom, like we're doing right now, right? But yeah. like, I recall doing the same thing. I did it twice, one to book, yeah. right? Yeah. And then I got all the way there, and they wouldn't let me in. Yeah. <laughs> they said oh, yes. And then the other one, I sent to Pierre Gonier, and he. Oh, yeah. He had just closed his first restaurant and was at the process of Saint Etienne. Yeah, uh, it was, and that's where I applied there. But then he was just in the process of moving to Paris. To so, Paris, yeah, 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 yeah. That was when one closed and the other one was opening, and he apologized yeah. usually because he wasn't open yet in Paris. But uh -huh. it was like, I wish uh -huh. I could find that letter now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think actually I kept. But the funny thing is, like you send the funny thing that that's also typical love the French for this. It's like you send them an email in English and then they apply, they apply in French, French, of course. Yeah. So yeah. That, they want yeah. to see how smart you are. If you can translate. Yeah. yeah. And then he's like, oh, you panic. You just have to have it translated. It's like, what does it say? Can I come? Can I come to work? And it's like, yeah, yeah, you actually, you could come. And then it's like, uh, so we, we, we traveled down, uh, me and my friend, we, we actually went together. We were two of us. So we went in the summer of 1999. We went for... I think it was three months we stayed in that little village where George Blanc is living and it's absolutely nothing happens there it's all based around that, that great restaurant uh, all that happens is you work <laughs> you work uh, you work to split you uh, show up in the morning uh, you rest a little bit on the in the afternoon and then you're back for the evening and it's just like but it was the trip of our lifetime you know I remember almost every day uh, being there uh, until this day so it's just like it was fantastic hard work but fantastic that's amazing it's funny yeah. that you you send these letters right and we're again we're so used to getting like instant like a response let's just say two days right three max. Yeah. Yeah. eight like months you're like yeah this was you're months like, away sitting there like oh my god oh my god and they would get thousands of letters they'd read yeah. them all they'd see yeah. who like, addressed them properly Go through yeah. the process and they'd be like, uh, nope. All right, yeah. maybe yes. Nope, maybe yes. Right. They'd go through the process, then they'd send yeah. you the letter, but you'd be yeah. waiting for months to plan yeah. what your life's gonna be. Exactly, exactly. And this is, you're just waiting and then it shows up and it's yeah, luckily. You can't it was tell your employer, just, you can't do shit. Yeah. Like, yeah. And and at that uh, that uh, doing that stars uh, actually this was uh, yeah in back in nineteen ninety nine I met 
two very at that time totally unknown uh, guys. It was uh, they said they came from a restaurant in England called the Fat Duck, and I was like, never heard of it. What what is that? Ah, oh, it's a small. We worked with this guy Heston Blumenthal is his name. Never heard of him. Who's that? And then it's like, uh, and then the, the the guy I worked with was uh, Ashley Palmer Watts, who, say, who later became Heston's like right hand for like twenty years until he left the company just a couple of years ago. That's crazy. <laughs> so it's a small world sometimes. I'll, I'll tell you, I was going to Terra Madre one year. It was the first year they did Terra Madre for Slow Food in Torino, and it was like ninety. Oh God, long time ago. I remember um, I was st- I had staged in Europe and in, in England and I was working with uh, over at St. John with Fergus Henderson and there was a mm. chef that was working there that's like I'm going to Copenhagen to work at this restaurant called Noma and I was like mm. oh what and he was yeah. like I'm like what the fuck is in Copenhagen right like thinking yeah. to myself I have yeah. no idea what's going on up there boom Daniel yeah. becomes like the pastry chef there then become mm. you know now he's of course back he's back here in the he's in the states and, mm. uh Dan, chef daniel burns was his name brilliant brilliant mm. Mm. Uh, but it's so funny because i remember him telling me that being like who yeah what well, i have no idea what you're about. Yeah, no yeah maybe yeah. you should have listened and gone gotten on the train yeah. and gone for the ride no. yeah <laughs> it's crazy it's crazy no and then then after that it's like i kept on uh working in several restaurants in in oslo and just staying in a business and 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 like basically doing my time and and try different stuff all the time and then actually i got um got this uh, book from a from a chef in sweden which i found really expired uh, at that time so in the beginning of 2000 me uh, i went to a trip to stockholm to to actually see what this was and try out Bought this restaurant of a of a um, of, of the guy from the book I got, but also like another famous uh, restaurant in Stockholm called Bonjok, which was run by Matthias Dahlgren, who a year a few years before had won the Boku store. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we tried both of them, and actually the the uh, the restaurant that was we had this book and we had the highest hope for that was a shitty place. <laughs> really. Yeah, 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 it was so disappointing at that moment. We had so high expectations reading this book and all about his philosophy. And it's like, oh, what a man, what a man. So it, it, that was a total uh, uh, no-go. But the Matthias Dahlgren restaurant at that time, Bonjok, was just out of this world. It's just another dimension. So that kind of also just inspired, I like, I have to work here. I have to really just start working here. So same same procedure coming coming home after that trip and no emails but I actually I had to make a phone call and ask if there was a possibility that I could come over to Stockholm for a week and just see what you guys are doing because I was so totally inspired by it and then uh, that opportunity was uh, actually uh, possible to do so um so I went back there and and during the time um I was there there actually um uh, a position became available and I was asked if I was interested in to get that position and that led me into to the the, the pleasure of working with uh, Chef Matthias Dahlgren for almost eight years. I mean that's 
you just said something that I haven't heard in a long time. There's not many folks that say that anymore. You were someplace for eight years. Yeah, 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 yeah. That is nowadays, nobody wants Unheard to. Unheard of. You no, about, no, no. But yeah. what that does is it gives you, oh God, I say this over and over again, and I feel, I feel like a broken record, but it gives you a mentor. It gives mm-hmm. you guidance. It gives you direction. Yeah. It gives you a full yeah. movement in a way that has longevity. Because yeah, yeah. that, when somebody looks down on that resume and goes, holy shit, you've been there eight years. Like, mm-hmm. I want you. I want to work with somebody that is consistent, that cares, that mm-hmm. wants to be there. Mm-hmm. But also, you were able to eke out every bit of knowledge and more from your experience. Mm-hmm. Now, it was, it, I mean, that, I would say that that time, period of time defines everything I've done in my career. I would say it's like, I, he, he, he was, as you say, my mentor. And, and it's like, I, I feel that I, I've learned so much about him, not only just, just from what we did on the plates, but also how to be a, a, a proper human, how to, how to run a, restu- a restaurant professionally done in a proper way where you take care of your staff. How to enjoy and, and appreciate the people actually working for you, which was just, uh, he had a really, really, uh, he cared for his staff a lot. But at the same time, um, uh, we developed and, and I felt it was uh, developing during the whole time uh, until I finally left. So it's just like, I would say those here are defining moments for me in uh, in my cooking that's amazing because that that does just mm. doesn't exist i mean no doesn't and, and i'm sure you see it now as you're seeing people mm. to try to apply for work and you know mm. as, as you opening you're like you're looking for people that have some longevity and now like a year oh, yeah. a year plus is great yeah right i think so yeah it's just that people are much more in and out and it's like yeah you try to 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 take care of you guys and really yeah it's it's uh it's um it's it's hard it's a different time wow it sure is sure is so yeah so how did that how did that manifest to the next step so i mean eight years working for guys mm. that's a big deal mm. like to me as an mm. outsider i say holy shit henrik yeah. worked with matthias for eight years mm. He's going to do mm. his own thing and he's going to go the Michelin star game, right? He's just going mm. to pump it and open that space and just go for gold. What, yeah. what happened there well, to the next step? Well, I, I, at that point, like we, when I worked for Matthias, it was two different restaurants. Like we, uh, um, he, he had one when I started, there was one restaurant which closed and then we, he took a year off and then he started a new one again, which had different, all, everything changed. And then we took that restaurant from opening and to two Michelin stars in under two years. It happened in 22 months, which was that unheard of in Scandinavia at that time. Uh, so it was just a rocket, a rocket ride. You just jumped on and then the next three years, that restaurant was fully booked. It was just packed for three years, solid. So it's like you, you, you just um, basically went on a went on a journey and then off three years three four years just went but it came to a point where it's like um and i'm sure you know this as much as other chefs like 
those restaurants kind of like grabs everything out of you. You know, being a head chef at that place, just like it's a seven days a week job. It's, it's every day, all the time in your head, something you can think of, you know, like, Ooh, what can we use this? How can this be better? It's like, it's, and, and at the point, it's just like, I just didn't feel for that anymore. It's just, it's too much. Uh, so I just choose to, 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 to come to a point and it's just like, I think it's time to do something different in my life at the moment. I've, now I've done restaurants for solid 13, 14 years. Um, and then I didn't, actually didn't have a plan. I left that restaurant in, in 2011 and, and, and really didn't have a plan. I just, I just knew that I wanted to do something different. And I wanted to work freelance. Um, so that's what, that was all I knew for a little period of time. And then basically, as I was about to leave, um, I get uh, a phone call for, uh, from, uh, from the, uh, what is it? The, the Norwegian Cycling Federation. Because uh, then the year before, uh, the great cyclist Tor Husson yes. had been he had been the, the road uh, champion of the world down in Australia. And that put ro uh, road cycling really hard on the map in, in uh, Norway. And it also meant that they could, for the first time ever, the, the national team could bring a chef to the worlds. Uh, so what he phoned me up was, because he knew I was a chef and he just basically wanted to ask me if I knew someone who could join them. So he was just, uh, yeah. So, and I was, just, I was just like, let me think about this. Yeah, I was like, yeah, something that could fit me. I mean, I, I didn't have a plan at the time. Why, why can't I try something different? Because cycling was something I liked. Um, my, uh, my brother and both my father was, uh, ha had been racing uh, quite successfully as well. So it's like, it was a part of our family all the time, uh, cycling. Uh, so, and I knew my dad had been the trainer of the, or the coach that phoned me up. So it's like, it just felt natural thing to just throw myself into that. So that's basically where it started. So I went, um, I did two, uh, world championships and the Olympics, uh, pre, pre Olympic, pre, uh, Olympic camp in London, 2012 for uh, the Norwegian cycling federation. Uh, without basically knowing anything about sports, anything about like science, anything. So I just went in there with common sense. Like I know how to cook good food. I know how it can look delicious. Uh, and I think that is as much important for these guys as anything else. Uh, a good pe cooked piece of meat, fish, whatever you do, you serve your pasta properly cooked, not overcooked, which this guy was used to, you know? Oh my so, God. I heard horror stories from people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, uh, like dry chicken, tomato sauce, and overcooked pasta. It's like, what's the norm for like decades in the sport? But that's just how it was. And no one really cared about like doing it properly. So that was my approach into the game. It's just like, let's just do a proper job and serve them uh, good food that is cooked uh, to perfection instead of just being sloppy. Uh, and that kind of um, took me on to the next thing was then 
uh, Team Sky had started being the number one team. Just, just it a little got, bit. Just a little bit. They had started like winning a lot, and and then uh, there was a connection because one of the uh, riders at the Norwegian national team rode for Sky at that time. So there was there was a door, there was a possibility to to knock on a door there and get a connection. So once again, I I did uh, like I always um, I just. Once again, just then, then we got to email time, so I could email this time. <laughs> <laughs> so it's I sent them an email. And, it's so yeah. funny you say that because it's just like it shows our age dramatically. Like yeah. pre email, yeah. <laughs> email, email. <laughs> it is, it is. So, so then I just sent an email and asked, Hey, uh, I, I, I'm interested in what you guys are doing. Uh, any possibility I can come and, and work for free for you guys uh, a week or something like that when you they were at training camp because they always have uh, go to the same place every year for training camp they go to Mallorca yeah. and they stay at the same hotel so there's it's very much routines uh, they stay one month same hotel all riders are there all the all, all staff is there so it's like so that was kind of like a big job and they had one chef at the moment uh, basically who was cooking breakfast, lunch and dinner for all this guy. So I can tell you he was pretty busy, uh, which is uh, like a, almost like 100, 100 people all in all. One chef. Yeah, at that time it was one chef. He had a little bit of help from the staff from the hotel, but I mean, I would say... Dry, dry pasta, dry chicken, overcooked pasta, dry chicken and tomato sauce. <laughs> exactly. So it's like, I... I, I I came in and 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 then and I from there I think I spent like ten days with them or something like that. And then when I was about to leave, they asked if I were interested in in helping uh, helping them a few days uh, that year. This was in twenty thirteen, so I ended up doing like fifty days for them that year or something like that. And basically, that just went on from just more and more and more and more every year. So that I spent in total five years with them from that one. did you you end up from that i mean you and i have a very very similar thought process on food right just serve it properly buy well keep it simple make it delicious treat it you know just treat everything Mm. it's not rocket science right no no. you have to take any was there any nutritional requirements that you felt that you should take or do as you progressed in this to understand some of their dietary restrictions because yeah. you know, there is a whole contingency of folks in the Peloton yeah. up there who are gluten-free or who choose yeah. not to do any dairy because they feel it gives them yeah. cramps or a lactic acid, yeah. right? Yeah. That's a lot of Luck- stuff I think the public could understand. Yeah, luckily out of uh, those years we had uh, in five years and we had like 30 riders each year, we didn't have, uh, there wasn't too much of gluten, lactic, uh, uh, going on, uh, I mean, I, I was quite lucky that almost everyone ate everything. Uh, but the thing is that we choose to we choose every night to cook the uh, the meal serve uh, buffet style, so each rider could pick the individual thing. Uh, I mean, a f- few riders may not, were not potentially super happy in fish and stuff like that. So, but other were. So it's like we would always have. We would always have options for everyone, so that was our intention with the food. We didn't, we didn't only serve them a plate tonight. It's steaks for everyone, uh, so there were always options uh, optimized for 
uh, optimized for for each individual in that buffet you could say that's amazing i mean and it's mm -hmm. and it's a lot like let's the pressure of breakfast lunch dinner right for mm -hmm. that many folks competing on a level that is olympic tour de france yellow jersey mm -hmm. sprinters mm -hmm. jerseys i mean it's mm -hmm. that's big like you have mm -hmm. You know, there's the sanitation, there's all these components of it that have to be super, mm. super secure to mm. make the team feel good and for you to feel good. What yeah. what were their protocols that they had put in place for you? Or are these all protocols that you set up yourself to guarantee safety and everything for everyone and, and all the needs that they had? Uh, no, there were, we we uh, we had, a, of course, a, pro, uh, a pro nutritionist that were uh totally like school trained scientific and everything uh a guy called uh, james morton came from the university in liverpool was one of the greatest guys i worked with in terms of nutrition uh, knowledge it was fantastic to work with that sometimes can be very difficult because sometimes the nutritionist yeah. speaks one language and the chef speaks yeah. another and it doesn't doesn't work yeah easily yeah no no to have but that he was the, the the thing with him that was super uh, with him was like he was very like he couldn't cook himself, but he could tell me exactly what I needed. He could guide me into what would be the best for the guys at all the time. That's and amazing. so and he and he said just like just guide just do this and how you flavor it and how, what you season with that doesn't add any nutritional value at all, as long as it tastes good. But it's it's what what's what the base is cooked with. That was what was important. That we gave them the right fuel to the right time. And that was his, uh, uh, was a ace of spades. You know, he could always say that now they need this. They need to have this, that that much of this. So in my side, in my size, uh, it might sound very crazy, but like he, he would teach the, the guys with, uh, with a plate and, and a, that was on top of a scale. Because uh, the one thing when he came into the team, he felt like a few riders uh, quite often were under fueling. You know, they think they eat uh, enough, but when the performance in race, you know, they bunk too early or whatever, you know, that's a, so he's like, he thought, he looked at every, everything and, and their diets and all this, and he, he thought like quite a few guys here is under fueling, which is not good. So he actually teeth teach a lot of the guys how to to eat enough uh, carbohydrates for example it's like in an evening they they needed 300 gram of boiled pasta that is actually more than you think when you add 300 when you put 300 gram boiled pasta on a plate that's actually quite more than you actually think it is so he would show them math. i'm going to do some math yeah. while doing that to kind of give everybody the real idea of what that is so yeah. hang on a second unfortunately we are still in the old world and we haven't quite gotten to yeah. times in our country we, we need to like simplify <laughs> all, all of us oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah, same yeah. thing you know so yeah. 300 grams right divided by 28 equals whoa whoa whoa, whoa. uh let me do some math here okay go ahead you keep let me do this i'm gonna do this yeah, so keep going <clears throat> So put 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 that on a on a plate in a bowl or whatever, and just like uh, take that and and show to riders like this is this is three hundred grams. This is actually how 
much you need to eat tonight to be able to take on those mountains tomorrow. That's 11 ounces of pasta, not including yeah. the sauce. No, exactly. This is like pure cooked white pasta. It's like, it's that's a lot of pasta. That's a lot. Yeah. yeah. And these, uh, one thing I learned quickly with working these guys is, is how big you, you need to, to blow up the portions. It's just like, so when I went on race, I would only cook for the riders, right? So staff was not included in my, um, in my, uh, on, on, on race, then they would eat at the hotels. But, you know, you're serving eight, nine guys uh, uh, each night, but you, you need to treat them like you have 15, 16 guys. So you're in, basically, in a, in a, you're cooking double every day. Yeah, 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 almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they would just rinse it out each night, or and more or less. It's kind of interesting because when you take a look at a professional cyclist, right? And yeah. You know, Bob Roll and I talk about it a lot. Bob Roll lives up the street for me. And we yeah. talk about the weight variation of what cyclists are now compared mm. to when Bob raced professionally with Team Motorola. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right? Yeah. It's a major difference in weight. You look yeah. at these guys and you're like, oh my God, dude, that guy needs to eat a ham sandwich or like six of mm. them, so skinny. But then you hear this information and you're just like, yeah. how in the world? Are but it's the amount of output, caloric burn, yeah. you know, yeah. training levels, glucose yeah. levels in their body. And yeah. Yeah, they're yeah. putting out and we, the motors that they are, that they're working with, like those legs pumping for how many hours are they out there? You know, let's just use mm. the Tour de France for an example. A stage is what when they're on the road? You had four, four, five, six hours. So six hours, full gas. We're not talking mm. like puttering about, mucking about. No, 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 no real no. coasting. Just like full gas. They get in. They get off the bike. Do they? Ha do you have to have food prepared for them that moment when they get off the bike as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So this would be also a, a very strict protocol. Um, but that that uh, that feeding would take place on the bus, uh, quite a long for me. But I would prepare the everything more or less for them in the morning. So when they stepped off the bike, Zwanjur uh, would be immediately handing them a, a, like a, a proper shake with uh, with proteins and, and 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 carbohydrates, like a really loaded shake. And then they would go in, have a, have a shower or something like that, and then. What I would prepare uh, in the mornings would be like small boxes with uh, a pure and easy to digest protein. Uh, just a piece of fish, a plain piece of chicken or something like that. And then on the bus, uh, there would be like a rice cooker uh, or something like that and give them some warm uh, new boiled rice. So they, uh, and then they would add some condiments and shit to that. And but, but, but then the, 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 the recovery process starts already like the second they climb off the bike uh, with, it, with the eating. And then they would eat uh, a proper proper meal, I would say. It's almost like a proper meal because they eat uh, like 250 grams of uh, chicken breasts uh, with, uh, with a lot of rice and stuff. So it's, it's, it's a lot. And then they would go come to the hotel and then they would have their massage and then they would come out down for dinner. So it, they had... Uh, almost like a dinner before dinner it's i mean it's yeah. 
it's a lot to think about. I heard stories of in the past where people would get off the bus and have they would have baked potatoes waiting for them, and they would eat baked, yeah. would eat baked potatoes like straight up, like yeah. mm. load, them, load them with stuff and just go to town. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I mean, it, it, it cleaned up a little bit. Uh, of course, uh, after yeah. that, it's more uh, more more performance uh, inhaled, but but it's still it's about eating a lot of carbs that is what their fuel is based on it's it's especially different times to the year but especially a race situation is all about the carbs all the time so it's usually protein for muscle recovery carbs for yeah so yeah. And, and it's it's a very interesting dynamic because i don't think people mm. really look at how skinny they are and then mm. you know, like how much they're putting in, and you're like, how in the yeah. world you stay like that? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's amazing. But one one thing that uh, uh, we were uh, really what was important for us in the team was that every like the old norms. Uh, it was uh, a rider back in the days. A rider, I wouldn't say overweight, but a rider would come into like a Grand Tour, a couple of probably a couple of kilos too much than needed. And then the thing was like, oh, no, no, we're going to race ourselves into form. And when we get to that last week, we're going to be ripped off and we're going to be great. That was unheard of uh, at Sky. They wanted everyone at trimmed weight like day one. But also the, the goal was to, to have the exact same weight coming into the tour as going out of the tour. Because it was very normal also that the riders would lose uh, weight and that was something also we uh, we worked really hard with to to contain uh, the same weight coming in and going out of a grand tour yeah there was there's um i've read a lot of stuff about that and they would say stuff like mm. bone density would become mm. softer due to you mm. know the body just being exerted so much it would just pull yep. nutrients from wherever it needed because of that yep. you know three-week abuse and yeah, that is brutal. such an amazing, you know, that's a really important thing. You said start and finish with the same weight. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Keeps people healthy the whole way. Yeah, we were super focused on that. So that, that was very, very important. But, and then uh, like every Grand Tour, even if it's the Tour de France or whatever, Giro, it's, it's a study to see um, how how a human uh, even in their best shape just like gets uh, more and more and more and more burnout like those guys go through I mean they're all in good shape they're probably a, a lot of them is like the best shape of the season coming into Tour de France and then coming into those last days they can hardly walk you know but still they're a little bit better than the other guys which they managed to to then pull off what they need to do. Uh, so it's just it, to be on a team, uh, any team, I would guess, to, to, to experience that. It's a, very, it's a study in how to break, slowly break down a human body, I would say. That's insane. It's brutal. It's insane. It's, I mean, it's so brutal. I mean, it's watched, that race is watched all over the world. What, and I think yeah, yeah. France is the one that gets the most. But I mean, you have the Giro and you have the Vuelta. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. both just as grueling. Let's be honest. All those grants oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. are brutal. And brutal. It, it takes a toll on the human body. I mean, oh yeah. Everybody wonders why for years back, 
you know, when people first started, they were doping. And it's because mm. they wanted to continue to not have physical breakdown, right? They would mm. take pain meds so they didn't feel the pain of the yeah. aches and yeah. the bones and the muscles. And I mean, it's, yeah. it's overwhelming. And I mean, we all watch it every year. I mean, you can't say, yeah. you know, do you know anybody no. that doesn't watch it and go, oh my no, God, no, no. you see this? It's crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah, it is. It's, it's an amazing feat and, and it's super exciting to see people excel in it and what they do mm. after it. You know, it's like, can they go and do, you know, a double, right? That's even the mm. crazy thought. Can they do the Giro, yeah. the Giro Tour double? Which same, I think- Same season, yeah. Same season. I think it's nuts. Mm-hmm. Don't even- So oh, it's definitely nuts. I, I'm sure you've been there and dealt. I mean, so what was it like seeing and being a part of a team winning the yellow jersey. I mean, you had some powerhouses when you were there. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that. I would say that that was the peak days of Team Sky. We were like more or less dominating everything. Like we we were winning solid uh, every year. Uh, it was it was absolutely great. Uh, I can't say anything else, but it sounds strange. But you know, as time goes, that becomes a natural job as well so um uh, it's just uh, you just get into this rhythm it's like in a professional season uh, when you're specifically working with a few specific riders because you would they would like pick the guys who would go to uh, especially also staff wise who would go to the tour quite early to to trim everyone so when we get to the tour that everyone has worked together they're they're the group is working, even on staff-wise. Everyone knows, goes on well with each other, so there won't be any problems when we get to the tour. So, so then you would follow this. Um, uh, you, the whole season would be built up around following these big boys all, all the season. So it was quite very interesting to follow a guy like Chris Froome for, for half a year, going everywhere where he went. We went to training camps. We went to, to altitude camps. We were, we were always there with him. And, and taking care of him uh, and, and a few of his his uh, most important guys. So it's like, it was, um, it was fantastic. Yeah. So let's talk about, you have three books. I have two. Mm. Yeah. I only have two because one of them is not in English. <laughs> no, it's hard to get hold of it. It's hard to get a hold of. We talked about that, remember? We yeah. Yeah. So, Even I can't get a hold of English. Oh, no, outside is free. Right. Yeah. Which yeah, spectacular, right? Mm-hmm. Look at this guy. Look at this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, how did that start to happen? Like the idea of yeah, and and the these two books are the latter two. You had a book prior to this, correct? This is the one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On. So the, yeah, the first one. So the, uh, this whole series, uh, I know exactly when that started, and it it, it was quite interesting because uh, that's. Um, I did um, did an interview for uh, for like a Swedish uh, cycling magazine that only were made online, like an online Swedish cycling magazine. And they interviewed me about the, uh, about the, my job at Sky and how I get got into cycling and all this. And then on that was um, a guy called Patrick who was the photographer for it. And uh, and we had a he, he came took the picture for the article we had a good chat and didn't think more about that 
And then just a couple of days after I went to the tour of California, this was in 2014. Uh, so I flew straight over to, after we did tour of Romandy, I flew from Switzerland, uh, Geneva airport and straight to, where did I fly? Sacramento or something like that, where, the, uh, where it started. Yeah. So we started up with Sacramento. And then basically when I woke up that morning, I had a lost call on my telephone uh, from Sweden. Uh, and I phoned him back and uh, it was this guy, Patrick, uh, the photographer who was so fascinated by what my career and, and what I've done. And he felt and meant that it wasn't at that time done a proper uh, cookbook who, who had cycling and, and uh, food related. Kind of like he, our, at that time, like something Rafa classic, you know, looking as cool as Rafa did at that time, you know, like it was new changed the whole impression of cycling. So he asked me, because um, his, um, his wife had a publisher company. So he basically came with a whole package uh, and asked if he wanted to do a book. And he had the publisher, it was his wife, and she could publish it. And he could take the photography. So the only thing was, if I was interested in when could we start doing it? <laughs> So this went, this actually went super fast. I came home uh, three weeks later from California and then we went basically put a few paper uh, uh, notes down on a piece of paper and the week after we were start, we started working on the first book uh, and the outline of that. And then it took us about a year to make it. And then um, luckily for me, um, uh, Rafa was sponsoring Team Sky. So I managed to get a book to Simon Mottram with the CEO of Rafa. And I was like, would it be possible if uh, Rafa could sell it? Do you have a copy in your Rafa Cafe in London? He was like, yeah, sure. We bring it, we put it up on online sell and we see what it can do. And that, it just exploded when we put it up there, uh, literally. So um, that just launched that project straight away without us basically doing anything. It all just happened by them, really. That's so amazing. that was like a, yeah, that was like a once in a lifetime thing. It's like, I couldn't dream. We were, we printed, like the first print was like, we were nervous. We printed like 6,000 copies and it's like, wow, if we, if we can manage to sell this, it's like, oh, it's like, it's a, it's a break even if we sell them. And then we were like, yeah, yeah, we're taking a risk here. Let's see how it goes. And they just blew out of the printer next week. So it was, it was. Uh, Hurry up, print more. And yesterday. <laughs> yeah. 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 So yeah, that just kept on selling for years. And, 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 and yeah, so that made it possible to do more books. And, and we did quite rapidly. We continued and we did the, the following year, we did the Velo Chef in Europe. And then the year after, actually, we did the, the Outsiders free book. So we did three books in three years. So we were very productive under a, under a period. I still have to get the first one. The yeah, first I'll, one. I'll, I'll get hold of you. I'll find a copy of somewhere. You have mine, right? Because if you don't. Yeah. Okay, good, good. I'll make sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so those books really opened a lot of people's eyes. And I think, you know, especially with, you know, what you did in Velo, you mm. know, Velo Chef in Europe, yeah. you have great yeah. imagery 
is stunning mm. and it takes yeah. you places. Mm. It gives time and place. And I think that's what's really important about cycling is it gives you a time and place, but then there's yeah. also that connectivity to the food of those regions. And I think that's really, yeah. really powerful. Yeah. yeah, thanks. It's yeah. really special. I mean, you know, look at you, you're all cash sitting outside the cafe. <laughs> You know, you want, I want to go to Mallorca straight away when I see that picture. See, you it's crazy to think about all these and like who's here and the, the faces that are in here, right? Mm. For a lot of folks who don't, who have no idea. I mean, there's mm. some really brilliant talent that you get to play with. And yeah. sharing those those foods with them is really amazing. Yeah. Neither, neither do we. Well, of course, didn't we know that one of the guys became a Tour de France winner two, two years later? Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. Garrett Thomas. And mm. I, I mean, I know you guys are still yeah. good friends and, you know, yeah. uh, have the opportunity to hang out and, and get to cook together still. So mm. let's talk about the transition now to your brick and mortar. You are no longer mm. traveling around the globe. No. Nope. Nope. They're coming. They're just, instead, everybody's coming to you, which is great. You know, they're showing up <laughs> on bikes to the front door, you know. How has that been for you? Do you are you enjoying being settled in one place and yeah. traveling all over? Yeah. So um, we, when me and my wife, we spent uh, almost fourteen years in Stockholm, Sweden, uh, and our children was born there. Um, so of course, uh, at the end of my time in Sky, we had two children, and and traveling almost two hundred days a year. It says itself it can't go on forever yeah so that that kind of like stopped itself uh when we got the got the second one and then um we uh, we decided to move back to norway because um because uh, uh, something that i was supposed to join uh like led us back to norway it was like okay our kids gonna uh, our old kids is gonna start school uh so it's like a breaking point now. Either she will, we stay here and she will start in Swedish school, or now's the time to move and she will start in Norwegian school and we will be back in Norway after being uh, away for 14 years almost. So that kind of like happened quite quickly. Uh, uh, I was supposed to be involved in a project called the Service Course, uh, which is uh, based down in Girona. And uh, they were moving to to start uh, a business in Oslo, and they were supposed to open a bike shop uh, and a re uh, like cafe restaurant, uh, basically door to door to to each other. Uh, so I got um, well, I, I got the opportunity to join that team and basically jump in and do that. But we spent. I spent almost like a, a year in that and, and trying to, we, things wasn't negotiated with that landlord, uh, which made it really hard for us. Uh, we just had a lot of struggle basically with, with the landlord during that period and things could have been done uh, better probably from the beginning, but uh, it, it came down at the end that we, the price that we was like, promised to build the premise on was doubled so it's like all right that doesn't work it's not 
No, it doesn't work. And, and, and everyone knows that in this business where the margins are as, as small as they are anyway. So it's like, we can't, we can't, we can't have the double the rent that you promised us from the beginning. It's like, so sorry. It's like, we spent, we spent half a year just like could thrown out of the window basically. So that, and, and then COVID came uh, uh, and then basically you were left to, to do nothing. It's like, I, I, I wasn't interested in continuing I could have basically worked in a cycling shop for a little while, but it's like, why well, have me in a cycling shop? It doesn't, I mean, I love cycling shops, but don't get me wrong, but, but as a profession, it, it doesn't, doesn't fit me. So I met, a, met another guy who was also very passionate about cycling. And then we started talking, it's like, oh, maybe if he, he, he at that time was a, a food and beverage manager at one of the biggest hotels in Oslo. Uh, also really passionate for cycling so we just like what would be fun if we could do something one day and then that started and and developed and then all of a sudden like sh- sh- like shall we try shall we see if there's a chance here and then we started talking to a few people and they were uh, willing to help us fund it a little bit and it's like mm, yeah now we're getting it somewhere so we ended up having the funding uh, and then uh, we started to look for a, for a location. And then, um, and then again, we, we found a little location that we're, we were really happy about. But when we signed it, we were still in pandemic time and also was in total lockdown. Uh, so it was, all, it was all risky as hell. <laughs> I think that was the day that I told you, you're fucking out of your mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we were, we were out of our minds and it's like, yeah, but it's, it was like, we, it got to a point, it's now or never. And then, and we just made a full gas uh, approach and, and, and finally, uh, was it 8th of June last year, we, we opened the doors and uh, it's been, it's been a great travel. It's been a great travel. It's, it, you know. I watched the build out from afar. I was watching everything happen and it was really mm. exciting to see you pull it, pull all the pieces together. You were, you know, everything, you know, from the, from the design, the kitchen, I was mm. watching the day they mm. put a tile. Right. Mm. You know, and yeah, we did it basically me and Aaron, my colleague, we did all the things ourselves. Cause we, we had, we made this on a really small budget from what a restaurant normally is built on. Uh, and that, that meant it was like, we can't, we can't we can afford to buy new tiles but we can't afford hire anyone to put them out okay let's do it ourselves <laughs> so we can buy the tiles but we can't we can't afford the labor so we're the labor but that's you know right, right. but see that makes it even more personal and even more oh, yeah, yeah 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 you yeah. know like i'm really really excited for you because i i've been watching the food you guys have been doing and the events that mm, have been happening yeah. i know you guys have been on lockdown for uh for like the past month and i'm and i get mm not making it easy but you're doing really really fun things like you're getting Thanks. you're built you've built a community around it and, and yeah. it's so exciting to see what what are you like how does this affect you like say for instance in the winter what is the cycling like there in the winter and do people are people still riding or are they riding fat tire bikes are they still riding yeah actually they are uh, and there is a very it's, it's, of course, it's a it's a smaller group, but it's a very dedicated group uh, that still 
goes out and ride uh, despite being snow, ice, uh, mine, a lot of minus degrees. So th this is very um, fascinating about Oslo and Norway is that people, people cycle through all four, four seasons here. Um, and I really admire those guys who, who goes out and does that because I'm, I'm not one of them myself, actually. I, I, I stick to home trainer in the winter and it's like, feel that it's okay. But, but yeah, they're top level. That's amazing. Yeah. So what, uh, what are your goals for this coming year with, with now being open? Are you planning to do events yeah. and, and yeah. nature? Definitely. Uh, well, we are, uh, right now we're planning, mapping out what we, uh, what we're going to do for here. We have, um, we have some, we're just open again. I mean, we've been open again for a week. Uh, um, and then we, we, we're starting off slow. We're only open for three nights a week because it's like we're, we're, it's January in Oslo, which is normally, um, uh, it's normally a very slow month. And, and still at restaurant, we have what we call the one meter rule. So it has, at least has to be one meter between each guest. So that has uh, our capacity of the, what we are allowed to the restaurant uh, to run a total amount of guests are 50% less than normal. So we can only have, at the moment, we have a small business to start with, but maximum capacity now is 20, 20 people. Then we have a fully restaurant. So it's like that, that itself makes it a little bit risky. So we're running, running a little slow start at the moment, but we, we are, uh, we want to do, collabs with uh, with different uh, uh, different sorts of people uh, all the time like we, we're planning uh, uh, we have some great guys that imports natural wine here to Norway uh, which we're gonna do they're gonna come to a restaurant at the end of February where we're gonna serve they're gonna serve their wine we're gonna do our food and we're gonna do like a, a happening out of that and also some guys from Sweden who makes this uh, natural cider. Oh, beautiful. Um, yeah, super beautiful stuff. Uh, they're coming up to to do uh, do an evening with their their stuff. They're called Fruit Stereo. It's a really fun company. You should check them out. They're only making they produce their own fruit themselves or buying from from locally, and then they press and they ferment and do all this uh, uh, crazy natural ferments. And and it's really really interesting to to try their different stuff. And then also we're going to continue, uh, the cycling industry is super important for us. Uh, and, and we have stuff, um, uh, we're going to hopefully, uh, together with Envy. Beautiful. It's a big, it's big supporter, uh, always been a supportive company and great company for us to work with, uh, or for me personal now, now for my business. So I think they're planning like, a have a, have a, a grow deal in Oslo this uh, coming uh, season. Oh, nice. Possibly. So we will cater that, of course. And then, uh, yeah, just things happening all the time. Get people to launch their products at our place. So, so just attract more more people. It's, it's hard. You need to be on it all the time to to not be forgotten in the, uh, in the, well, Oslo is a small city, but it's a great restaurant scene here. So there's a, there's a, great field to to compete with so you really have to be on it which is which i think is personally super great because then you always have to to push yourself to find new um, new things always on your game 
That's great. Mm. Super important. Yeah. Oh man. I'm excited. I, I have never been to, to, to Norway. There's someplace I want to go. Yeah. It's been a discussion. Something we, something we should uh, look at, Chris. Huh? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I go for a ride, cook. I'd love to cook with you. Mm. You know, we've talked mm. about that before, you know. Yeah. I mean, in riding here in Oslo, we have, I mean, uh, one of the most special things with Oslo is that we have this uh, amazing uh, gravel scene. Because we have, uh, uh, I would say, less than half an hour riding from city center, you will enter an area where we have uh, unlimited uh, access to uh, 550 kilometers of uh, gravel, the most best gravel roads there is in Northern Europe, I would say. Wow, and is that all national forest or or? Uh... Yeah, so it's it's like yeah, and every we have this uh, thing in Norway. It's called uh, the well, the national forest art for everyone. So you don't there's no just like you can just use it as uh, as everyone. And also the fun thing about the forest here is that there are uh, uh, stationed out different uh, small cabins, so you can actually ride from cabin to cabins uh, and map out a route so you can be gone for a couple easily be gone for a couple of days uh and sleep at cabins and before you get back to the city oh that's amazing we don't have that here <laughs> no <laughs> no <laughs> we do have lots of great gravel riding here yeah ride forever especially yeah. you can go the marin headlands and all the way up in yeah. Mexico and everything but yeah, definitely yeah. not <laughs> cabins out there that are no. that are not mucked with right like Oh, it's no, it's it's a it's a fascinating thing. They have this. Um, it's called the Norwegian Tourist Association, uh, and they have placed out uh, in all over Norway. They have almost five hundred cabins stationed out in the whole whole Norway country, from the south to the north, and you can actually buy a membership. Uh, and the unique thing about uh, this is, so what you get is actually a physically a key. And these, most of these cabins are, um, uh, they have a, um, they contain uh, uh, fire. So you can, you can make uh, fire and you can heat yourself. And there's like a, a dry storage of stuff there that, which is all of course is based on uh, that people are, uh, you, you take something, you put some money in the cabin. You know that this is a trustable system. But the funny thing is that, um, if you buy a membership, it costs, I would say, in dollars, maybe costs $150 per year. But you get a physical key, and that key fits to all the almost 500 cabins there is because it has the same lock. And you can, whenever you want, uh, uh, they are free to use as long as you have the key. That's awesome. Mm. That is so cool. So, like, for instance, you could... Uh, cross-country ski out there or snowshoe or you know mm. ride a bike in the winter and there's options definitely oh man that's amazing. Very, yeah. yeah see those are the kind yeah, of that are really inspiring it, it gives mm. people a reason to go something like it's like from point yeah. a to point b i know i'm gonna have a safe safe warm place to be and then i can turn around yeah, and yeah. that's yeah that's special it's so, great Tell, tell everybody about the food that you're cooking uh, at Velochef. I think that's, you know, really, really mm -hmm. is the food It's been beautiful, like seeing what you're putting up. And, oh, thanks. And yeah. the view, well, the space is gorgeous yeah. too, by the way. Thanks a lot. Well, we try to keep it quite 
simple and natural. And we, I really like to use uh, seasonal stuff. I think that is super important in cooking. Uh, like I always says, we don't use strawberries in uh, January here because we have a freezing winter season. It doesn't make any sense. We have we have a short strawberry season in the middle of the summer, which lasts us. We maybe have good Norwegian strawberries for four weeks. Then we can use them, you know. So for us, season is everything. And and um, we, our evening concept is basically we do a four course uh, menu, uh, uh, which we change every second week. So we keep it for two weeks uh, at a time. Uh, new dishes. Um, and, and basically just cooks what we think is best at the time. Keep it quite simple. Uh, it can be everything, the starters, usually fish-based, and then we do meats, or we can change it over uh, to do to more meaty and, and stuff. And then what we serve first is like a, a, a small selection of snacks, which we like to keep very based on vegetables, and, and we make our own bread and all that. And then and, um, we do proper craftsmanship but we keep it quite simple and and you let the ingredients speak quite much for themselves that's awesome mm. we're gonna play a quick game because it's getting late for you over there if i'm correct it's no, like, no, fine. um we do we do a little uh a question quick question and answer yep. thing. no answers wrong okay oh. mm. yep. hamburger hot dog hot dog Ketchup, mustard. Mustard. Whole grain or Dijon? Both. <laughs> Dark beer, light beer? Hey, light beer. Brown spirits, white spirits? Both. <laughs> I, I love, love it. I love it. Beef yeah. or pork? Uh, uh, beef. Chicken or duck? Duck. Lobster or crab? Crab. Sea urchin or caviar? Sea urchins. Red wine, white wine? Red wine. It's fun. This is like, this is super fun. Uh, pasta or noodles? Ooh, pasta. Ravioli dumpling. Dumpling. Burrito taco. Tacos. It's fun to see the difference from people all over. This is mm. why it is it's pretty consistent, mm. right? Mm. Favorite candy. Ooh, favorite candy. Uh, I don't know if it's a candy, but probably uh, uh, popcorns. Popcorn, okay. Yeah. What, um, do you do black licorice? Uh, a little bit. It's, that's very more like a Danish tradition than Norwegian, probably. Yeah. But we have a little bit. I'm not I'm not super fan of black licorice now. Me neither. I think it's kind of nasty. No. Yeah, <laughs> it, it kind of ruins the point, right? It's like mm, yeah. something sweet. Oh no, that's salty. That's not. No. Right. <laughs> I don't want that. No, not too much of it. <laughs> Oh my God. Pizza calzone. Pizza. Favorite fish? Uh, turbot. Oh man, I haven't 
I'm gonna turn on a lot. Mm. Mm. That's actually really delicious. Yeah, it's been a long time since I had it. I not do not cook it. I mean, it's also the most one of the most expensive fishes over here. So it's like not. We'll take a long time before we see it on the menu at at the clubhouse because it's just like then our our um, and the profit margin just. <laughs> <laughs> but it would be lovely to do it. I, I'm going to do it once. Just forget about all the rules and just tonight we do turbot, guys. There Enjoy. you go. Oh man, mm. cooking an old-fashioned turbotier, like a big one. Yeah, yeah. Pull yeah. that fish off. Oh man, I love that. I have one on the grill. House. I managed to. Yeah. Find that kind of stuff's hard to find over here. I'm sure you probably find yeah. one than I could. No, uh, not not. Yeah, it's rare here as well. Yeah, yeah. Is it? Yeah, we. I had to find it in an antique shop. Yeah, yeah. Now I think you can ask. Now it's, it's getting a bit more uh, normal. So and and also you you can have you can special order them from like a blacksmith or something like that. So you can oh, that's actually cool. make you one. Mm. That's nice. I, the one I have mm. is pretty old. I'm like, ooh, I don't know about this one. <laughs> <laughs> Chocolate or fruit? Mm, on a daily basis, I would say fruit. Coffee or Much tea. More coffee not a tea or drip uh, drip probably more much more drip than espresso yeah. isn't it amazing the difference in drip coffee from back in the day and how much more elevated it's become flavor profile oh yeah and i mean we have such a, uh, uh, the scandinavian coffee culture now is uh, i would say is really snobbish i mean everyone wants to break themselves in, into doing the most uh, uh, natural process. Uh, that, that's, be, that's become the like, because uh, we, in, especially here in Scandinavia, we like it very lightly roasted. Yeah. But it also, it creates this nice, acidic, fruity coffee, which I'm getting really stuck into. So. Yeah, I have, if you can see over here, I have my whole coffee section is over there. Nice, that's your uh, uh, machine, right? That's my rocket, yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and then I have uh, yeah, a lot of different beans and drip and varieties. So yeah, it's like I'm, I'm totally into it. But I drink more, uh, I drink more drip than I actually use the espresso machine these days. Yeah, it's been, um, I have pour overs. I have, you I love pour overs. I've yeah. got a million different apparatus to make coffee. In <laughs> yeah. I can't buy anymore. Please stop. <laughs> Why not? It's always, always. We were just running out of space to put all this stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a spatial issue. <laughs> yeah. Well, so if folks want to find you, where's the best way for them to find you on the internet? Uh, you can either follow me on Instagram both uh, myself and my restaurant i would really appreciate if people would look into that that's uh, that's probably the easiest way to find me these days and Any question fellow chef right yeah it's Velo chef clubhouse is the is the address for that or it's uh, just personally henrik order straight straightforward on on instagram awesome so yeah. one last what is the biggest nightmare experience that you had happen when shit went tits up when you were out there cooking on tour anywhere or with sky or with sky yeah oh i mean yeah we um 
in generally we um, um, we had this uh, amazingly big kitchen truck, but sometimes you know a fuse or something happened, and that happened, you know, thing just you went out of gas five minutes before that happened once. Like you're supposed to serve, and then gas is just you know, <laughs> then things get excited. Then things get excited. But also, like, we had this uh, time, what absolutely worse that, like, uh, there was a, a couple of seasons pre where we had this uh, great kitchen truck, which we later got, is that we had to work with hotels. Uh, so we went from, you know, Grand Tour, you, you probably visit 15, 16 different hotels. So every night, and then you send an email, like, Hi, this is Shed, blah, blah, blah. I'm coming to your place. And it's like, and the first thing that happened, we just wanted to, to borrow a little corner of the kitchen so we could prepare the riders. Uh, and, and I would think that it would be, if I were a chef, it would be great if the team actually brought a chef who would these guys instead of just the team sending a list. This is what we needed. So it's like, you're bringing the expertise I, for me. That I thought that would have been great, but some chefs were old French guys. It's like, can we borrow a little kitchen? Answer is no. Now then, then we didn't have a solution, so that was the worst happened to me. Like we weren't, I were weren't allowed, or we couldn't do our job. Several evening that could happen. See, that's really sad. And that was, and yeah, so that was what in the end um, uh, made Sky to take the decision to spend a, a huge amount to get this kitchen truck, kitchen restaurant truck built. So it's like this just has we, we need to be constant with our group. They need to get the food every night. It's like, so I would say that was my worst nightmare. It's like I, there were days that and then you couldn't do your job. Because you couldn't stand in a parking space in a car to do to that, you know. It's really sad because it's the hospitality business, and we're taught to be hospitable, mm. right? And how mm. shitty is it to be unwelcoming to someone into your kitchen? Mm. And they're going to alleviate. Yeah, the yeah no, the, they're going to alleviate the pressure on you to cook specifically for this large group, and mm. to the help. I mean, it's just very unhospitable. It's really sad to hear that. Yeah, yeah. So that happened uh, not very often, but occasionally it would happen. So that I would say that was my worst nightmare. It's like, and I, I felt very hard on it as well. The boys were like, "Oh, yeah, we understand." It's like, but for me, it was terrible. Yeah, because I was just sitting there, and it's like I couldn't do couldn't do anything because facilitated to 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 help them out. So I, some we, we would try something salad on a on a hotel room or like you know do anything, but like like comes to a point where that isn't the best thing to do either because you're working with food and you have to 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 treat it in a environment that's safe for food and all that. So it's like yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm glad we uh, time changed and, and we got it to a much better level after that. Yeah, for sure. Well. 
Thank you very much for joining me. Yeah. Excited to uh, hopefully connect with you very soon. And I'm excited for everybody to hear yeah. how and what made you do this, because this is a really, really amazing story. So yeah. thank you. Thanks a lot, Chris. No, thank you.